Morning, everybody. Scripture reading today is from Ruth 1, 15 to 18. At this point in the book of Ruth, uh, Naomi is with her two daughters-in-law, and she's about to head out on a journey to go back to where she was originally from. So Naomi is urging her daughters-in-law to go back. So, as the verse says, Naomi said to Ruth, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods, so go with her. But Ruth responds, Don't force me to leave you and go back. I'll go wherever you go. I'll live wherever you live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. I'll die wherever you die, and I'll be buried there as well. So help me God, even if death comes between us. So in reply, in response to this, uh, Naomi sees her persistence and allows her to come with her. Well, it's good to be back to Santa Clarita. Always enjoy coming here. I bring you greetings from fellow believers at Moore Park Community Church, the church plant, brand new church startup in Moore Park uh, over in Ventura County. Our service is at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, so that makes me available to come and preach for pastors who are on vacation in the morning. So that's why one of the reasons, I suppose, that I'm here. But it's a pleasure to be here. As uh, Eric mentioned, you have an outline there in your uh, bulletin if you want to get that out. Uh, This will be for the message. You'll notice the fill-in, so you'll need a pencil or pen as we go through this. I do this because... You must realize that studies indicate that you will forget about 75% of what I say within 48 hours. Very depressing to pastors to realize that, but that is the truth. And so anything I can do to help you remember the message, why, that's helpful. And this is one sensory method. You have to write it, you have to look at it, you have to see it, and that always helps you remember it. So that's just a technique that I use. I also bring you greetings from San Pasqual Academy near Escondido, California. How many of you are familiar with San Pasqual Academy? Oh, there are a few hands. That is my alma mater. And I was there just about two weeks ago for my 40th high school senior class reunion. Now, I know to look at me, it's hard to believe that that's been 40 years ago. (laughs) But it is. In fact, one of my classmates came up to me and said, you haven't changed a bit. (laughs) in 40 years. And I asked her if she was having cataract problems. (laughs) Really something was going on. But I had a great time uh, with fellow classmates. You know, several months ago, about six months ago, I uh, made it a matter of prayer that the Lord would help me lose 15 pounds before my 40th uh, class reunion. We're always concerned about appearance. In fact, you notice when you go to the reunions after a whole number of years, they give you name tags so people can actually tell who it is. (laughs) Well, it just so happens that in March, I went down to South America to Panama and Peru, and when I got back, I ended up having a parasite, and I lost 15 pounds. (laughs) I learned two important things. One is you have to be careful what you pray for. And two, you have to be prepared for the answer. (laughs) Of course, the irony in all of it is that that was three months before the reunion. And in those three months, I gained 10 of the 15 back. So 
Today we're going to look at Ruth and the story of Ruth, and I'm calling it Character at the Crossroads because Ruth certainly was at a crossroads, wasn't she? She had to make an important decision about how her life would go from that point on. You know, we all have important decisions in our lives. I call them, you know, crossroad decisions, uh, continental divide decisions that cascade us down one side of the mountain or the other, but they're important critical decisions that come at certain points in our lives. And they change our lives forever. San Pasquale Academy, by the way, was one of those important crossroads in my life because I was not a Seventh-day Adventist when I went to San Pasquale Academy. I went there simply as a student whose dad was looking for a boarding school to send his son, who was incorrigible and causing all kinds of problems at home. And so he sent me to San Pasquale Academy, the Seventh-day Adventist school, I was in my junior year. I was not happy, as you can imagine. I would finally be an upperclassman at Vista High School. And now I was going off to this religious school out in the middle of nowhere. And by the way, two weeks ago, it was 107 in the San Pasquale Valley. (laughs) And I was not happy about this at all. And yet it would become an important turning point in my life that would forever change the direction of my life. And at the reunion two weeks ago, and by the way, most of you know that the church no longer owns San Pasquale Academy. The Southeastern California Conference sold the academy and it was taken over in the year 2000 by the city of San Diego. It is now operated still as a secondary school, but it's for foster children. They come and live there, and they have a regular school program, and they still call it San Pasquale Academy, interestingly enough. And they allow the alumni to come back on campus, which was very nice of them. And uh, so we were there, and after the church service we had, you walk from there, and we were going to have an outdoor picnic in the grove, they call it, which is is a grove of eucalyptus trees, where every Tuesday night, when I was there as a boarding student, we always had supper in the grove, but of course it was so hot (laughs) that they just had us walk quickly through the grove and over to the cafeteria that was air-conditioned where we actually had the meal. But as I was walking through that grove of eucalyptus trees, I paused there for a moment because it was there at an outdoor baptistry 40 years ago that I came to a crossroads in my life. And I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And I never looked back. And he has changed my life and sent me in a whole new direction. Crossroads in life. How do you make decisions about which direction you'll go when you come to that fork in the road and you decide which way you're going to go? Well, Naomi and the story of Ruth give us some key pointers when it comes to making decisions. Now, what I want you to do And you notice, if you've been here before when I preach, I do roam when I preach. I do this so you'll stay awake. If I see anyone asleep, I just come up and slap them across the head. That's all. So uh, I dare you to fall asleep during my message. (laughs) We'll have some fun. Anyway, this crossroads that Ruth found herself in was a very profound and important one in her life. So what I want you to do is think of a situation that maybe you're facing right now. Maybe you have a decision that you have to make. Maybe it's a health-related decision. Maybe it's a personal decision. Maybe it's an educational decision. 
whatever it is, I want you to kind of have it in your mind as we go through the way Ruth processed this important decision in her life because I think it gives us some practical advice when it comes to decision-making in our own lives. Now, you have your outline there in front of you. I want to draw your attention to the very first verse at the top of the outline, James chapter 1, verses 7 to 8 from the Good News Bible. Notice this. A person unable to make up his mind and undecided in all he does and think... He will, you know, 40 years ago, right? Here they are. I got to get the glasses out, which means I'll be able to read the notes. And you know what I did? This is so funny because I'm so vain. I, I copied them in extra large, you know, 120%, and I still can't read them. Uh, It's depressing, isn't it? All right, but we'll do this right. All right, a person unable to make up his mind and undecided in all he does must not think he will receive anything from the Lord. Do you realize that when you're undecided, it limits God? When you are vacillating when it comes to decision making, it limits God because God does not force you to decide. God gives you the freedom to make your own decision within the powers and strength and guidance that he gives you. So what did Ruth do? How did she decide what she was going to do in this process? Well, you know the story. Ruth is one of the most beautiful literary stories of the Bible. Uh, The words are just beautifully written. And you know the story, of course. Naomi and her family decide to move out of the land of the Israelites because of a great famine. And so they move up to the Moabite land. The Moabites uh, were the product of an unfortunate incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughters. And so they were absolutely spurned by the Israelites. They were foreigners. And in fact, you know that there's a point in the Bible where God asked the Israelites to destroy the Moabite nation, but they did not, and the Moabites still lived on. Well, they went up into the Moabite country, and of course, as would naturally happen why the sons uh, of Naomi married Moabite women. But unfortunately, as you know, disaster hit, and all of the men in the family died. And there poor Naomi found herself with these two Moabite women that had been married to her sons. She was desperate, she was desolate, and she didn't know what to do. So she decided to return to the land of her people, the Israelites. And logically, she said to her daughters-in-law, look, you know, you're not going to find anything in my homeland. Why, you're hated there. You're a foreigner. Why don't you go back to your own towns and your own people, and there perhaps you'll be able to find a husband again and be able to live your life. Well, as you know, one of the daughters-in-law decided to do just that. But the other, the character of our story, Ruth, came to the crossroads and made a different decision. And what prompted her decision was that she wanted to devote herself to the same God as her mother-in-law, Naomi. Wow, what a choice and what a decision. It brings us to the first point on your outline. Write this down. Step one in the process of making choices is devote yourself to God. 
devote yourself to God. Notice Ruth's words in chapter 1, verse 16. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. So the first step, the foundational step in any decision-making process is the acceptance of God as the foundation of your life. If you do not take this step, if you bypass this step, you will short-circuit the process that God wants in your life. You've got to, first of all, decide that God is going to be the ultimate foundation when it comes to the decision-making you make. Proverbs, I like this, a person is foolish to trust himself, but those who use God's wisdom are safe. So here's the question that you ask. Write this down on your outline. What does God want? What does God want when it comes to the situation I'm dealing with? This business decision I have to make, this uh, school decision, uh, this personal decision. What does God want? That's the first question that you ask as you go through this process. Jack uh, Jones, in his book, Stupid Ways, Smart Ways to Think About God, says that unfortunately in our culture we have looked at God as a cosmic bellhop, that somehow he just simply will step up to the plate and do whatever we want him to do. But instead we need to reflect on what is it that God wants us to do? What does God want in this given particular situation that we face? Step two, write this down. Get the facts. Get the facts. Now, here's the interesting thing. Oftentimes, we as believers operate on a a sort of intuitive way of approaching things, which is fine to an extent. But God has given you a brain to think with. Use it. Get the facts. Gather the information that you need to make an important decision that you're faced that's certainly what Ruth did. Notice what it says in Ruth chapter 2, verse 2. Now, this is interesting. Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Don't you think Ruth did a little thinking about this? Don't you think she conferred with her mother-in-law about exactly how I should go about this? What are the facts here? What are the customs? What are the cultural nuances of where you're at? You know, I find when I travel overseas that if I know some about the culture and the language, it goes to a a great extent in making me more comfortable and accepted in the places where I go. Of course, I have a little trouble with language. Um, Sometimes learning language can be very difficult. I had a terrible time overseas in London. Uh, but, uh, (laughs) But I find that if you just learn a few key words... You know, it's amazing how people perk up when you know a little bit of their language. And here we have a situation where Ruth is coming into a foreign land. But she's learning the custom, she's understanding how to maneuver. Consequently, she's getting the facts about the situation that she's faced. Notice what it says in Proverbs there on your outline. Every prudent person acts out of what? Knowledge. Knowledge is really key. Getting the facts. And God has given each of us, hopefully, a brain that can uh, figure out those facts. So here's the question, write it down. What do I need to know? What do I need to know? The very first question, what does God want? The second question, what do I need to know? What do I need to know? And we have so many sources for information now, it's just incredible and amazing. It is just something. You know, one thing that I have been involved in here recently is um, genealogy research. 
and I love family history, and some of you may be involved in that. And uh, just last week, in fact, on Sunday, last Sunday, I was at the Southern California Genealogical Society Genealogy Jamboree. Why they call it a jamboree, I have no idea, but it's a jamboree. And uh, all these genealogists, there was like 1,100 of them down at the Hilton Hotel in Burbank taking workshops and learning all kinds of things. And as I went through the exhibit area, there were several tables of used books. And I love books, and I love used books, and I was looking through these books. And here was an annual, a a school annual, a high school annual, uh, and it was from um, the Washington Lee High School in Arlington, Virginia. And it had all kinds of autographs and stuff in it. It was on this table. I thought, is that, you know, why do people give these away? I mean, why, how did this get here? I started looking through it, reading some of the autographs that were in it. The person who owned the annual had a nickname, and her nickname was Taffy. Taffy. What an interesting name. Uh, right away I thought, I wonder how she got that name, <laughs> Taffy. Several, though, did address her as Stephanie. And, and I thought, why did Stephanie give up this annual? Did she lose it? And suddenly it occurred to me, because something happened to me very similar, and that is that uh, when I was growing up, I had, my family was terribly dysfunctional. My parents uh, split up when I was young and so forth. And my mom had a storage place, and she put several of my annuals from school in the storage place and then promptly didn't pay her rent on the storage unit. And you know what happens when you don't pay your rent, why they sell it to the highest bidder. And I thought, well, I wonder if this may have happened to this gal. So I asked them how much for the annual, and they said $10. So I went ahead and I bought it, and I took it home and started doing some research online. And I found the lady. I did. She lives in Santa Barbara. Her current married name is, well, I won't tell you because... I want to keep that kind of private. But there was an address and a phone number. This annual was from 1962. I calculated things and figured she'd be about 64. I made the phone call. My heart was pounding. What would she say? This elderly woman's voice answered the phone. I said, Stephanie? Yes? Uh... I'm just happy to tell you, Stephanie, that, uh, and I introduced myself, gave my name, I have your senior high school annual from Washington Lee High School in Arlington, Virginia. There was a pause on the phone, and she blurted out, I'll never forget it, I don't want it. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) I said, are you sure? I am very sure, thank you very much, click. I learned something very important. You cannot force somebody to remember their past. They have to choose to do it. Something happened to this lady at that time in her life. I have no idea what it was. But for some reason, she didn't want to remember. Now why she gave away her annual, I have no idea. But um, my good intentions (laughs) fell a little short. Uh, Because she didn't want that annual. It's interesting how people are that way. That somehow their past clouds their understanding of the future because they cannot get beyond it. So, devote yourself to God. Get the facts. 
And number three, write this down. Ask for advice. Ask for advice. Notice what Ruth said to Naomi. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. Ruth knew that Naomi knew exactly how to maneuver through this very complicated, culturally nuanced process that she'd have to go through in order to find a kingsman redeemer who could perhaps claim her, who could uh, become her husband, buy the land that was still in the family, and go through the process that traditionally had to be done. So she had to get advice. Proverbs says good advice, get good advice, and you will succeed. So the question to ask, who can help me? Who can help me? What does God want? What do I need to know? Who can help me? Talk to somebody who knows you. Talk to somebody that you trust. Get feedback from other people. God uses us as instruments to inform, to uh, give us information, and to reflect upon what we should do. You know, you don't have all the time it takes to make all the mistakes. So get as much information as much knowledge as you possibly can before you make the decision. It's interesting. Sometimes we'd rather appear wise than be wise. And it takes humility because humility and wisdom goes together. And all leaders never stop being learners. Once you stop becoming a learner, you cease to be a leader because there's always something that you can learn. Devote yourself to God. Get the facts. Ask for advice. Number four, write this down. Prepare for problems. (laughs) Prepare for problems. Inevitably, there's going to be some problems. That's the way it is. Uh, Nothing is perfect. I was reading in the paper, you know, Beijing really wants the Olympics to be perfect. And they have worked for years and years and years to try to get everything ready and right. And what has happened? I mean, it just seems like it's... uh, of biblical proportions, all of the events. There's an earthquake, first of all. There's flooding that's going on. Uh, I just read in the paper that in the sailing venue, the, the, the area is clogged with algae. And they're desperately trying to get all this algae out before the Olympics start. One thing after another. And you know what's coming next that they're dealing with? They just dispatched thousands thousands uh, of exterminators because the locusts are coming out early this year. And they're afraid they're going to be inundated with clouds of locusts. Speaking of biblical proportions. (laughs) You know what's interesting is the moment that you expect things to be perfect, what happens? (laughs) I mean, so much of our happiness in life is directly related to our expectations. And if we expect things to be perfect, we set ourselves up for disappointment because nothing ever is perfect. There's a thing that I call when and then thinking. Have you ever done this? You know, when something happens, then I'll be happy. You play this game? You know, when I get out of school, then I'll be happy. When I get married, then I'll be happy. When I have kids, then I'll be happy. Boy, you're really fooling yourself on that one. Uh, (laughs) When the kids move out, then I'll be happy. (laughs) When I retire, then I'll be happy. I mean, you know, you play that game. Uh, The fact is, if you are not happy in the current moment, which is all we have, 
This is all we have, folks. The current moment. You probably never will be happy. Because happiness will always be some elusive thing that never comes. Because you're always anticipating that it will come when it doesn't. Expectation. You have to deal with the problems that inevitably are going to come along. Now notice, Ruth. She learns, of course, what she has to do. And it must have been really quite startling uh, to, uh, to, to Ruth... Uh, to think about this thing. You know, she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed her mother-in-law's instruction. I've got to do what? You know, what? I've got to go down to the threshing floor and lay down at the foot of this guy? Yes, that's what you've got to do. That's the tradition. That's the way it works. Think of the risks involved. What if she'd been rejected? What if he had not accepted her? What if, you know, there are all kinds of things that she could have anticipated that may have happened. Proverbs tells us very clearly, a sensible person watches for problems ahead and prepares to meet them. Ask this question. (laughs) What can go wrong? What can go wrong? What does God want? What do I need to know? Who can help me? What can go wrong? Prepare in advance for the problems that inevitably will happen. By the way, I read the paper. You notice, have you ever seen in the paper, they have listings of companies and organizations that have gone bankrupt? This is true. Uh, This is true. I read that Optimus Incorporated went bankrupt. (laughs) Now, there's nothing wrong with being optimistic. Uh, Don't get me wrong. But, okay, here we go. Four of the six steps. Devote yourself to God, get the facts, ask for advice, prepare for problems. Here is number five. Calculate the cost. Calculate the cost. Now, you know the story, of course. Fortunately, Boaz does get up and he claims uh, Ruth and he goes and he knows he has to meet with another kinsman redeemer who is ahead of him. And so he goes to the city gates where they generally meet and he meets with this person. And, of course, there's a cost involved. Notice what the cost is. It's right there in Ruth 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 5 on your outline. Your purchase of the land requires your marriage to Ruth. So, in order for him to purchase the land and to be Ruth's kinsman redeemer, he has to marry her. There is a cost involved. Now, I don't think Boaz minded that at all. He was willing to pay that cost. But here's the question you have to ask. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Figure out what you decide God wants you to do. Indicate very clearly the facts of the matter. Seek advice from people you trust. Prepare for problems that inevitably will come. And then calculate the cost and ask, is it worth it? Have you ever noticed that it's easier to get into a relationship than to get out? You ever notice that? Have you ever noticed that it's easier to fill your schedule than to fulfill your schedule? (laughs) Calculate the cost before you get in. Uh, That's an important principle when it comes to decision making in the Bible. Yes. Okay, so what do we have so far? Devote yourself to God, get the facts, ask for advice, prepare for problems, calculate the cost. And number six, write this down, face your fears. Face your fears. I like this in Ecclesiastes 11.4. If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. 
You know? Have you ever heard people, they talk about, well, we're waiting to have children until we're ready. Are you ever ready to have kids? No. No, no, no. I mean, sure, you can do the things you need to do to make sure you're prepared, but I don't know that you're ever ready. (laughs) You can't wait for things to be perfect. One of these days is none of these days. You've got to decide when it's time to move, to get going, uh, to get off your blessed assurance and do it. You know? Face your fears. Now, I love this. As we look at the way the story kind of winds up and all that Ruth did, her devotion to God, her willingness to seek advice, her willingness to do what, what Naomi told her to do, her willingness to maneuver through this in a way that was just so respectful and so humble on her part, even though she was in a foreign land. And then her connection with Boaz ends up in a very profound and important event. And it's right there on your outline in Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 and 17. So Boaz married Ruth, and the Lord gave her a son, Obed, father of Jesse and grandfather of King David who of course would be, as you know, in the direct line to Jesus Christ. Now there's a lot of profound truth here in the whole story and what happened. And one of the most fascinating and interesting things about it is that ultimately the lineage of Jesus went through a Gentile woman who had greater faith, ironically, than a believer, her (laughs) mother-in-law. Isn't that interesting? Let us never underestimate the faith of those around us. Let let us never minimize the faith of those outside of our own community. Because God uses them in powerful ways and connections that we see demonstrated in the Bible repeatedly. So we must understand that. Uh, As I was listening to Eric's Sabbath school, he talked about listening and the fact we need to keep our ears open and sometimes our mouths closed because we can learn as much from others and we should never be so arrogant as to think that we are beyond learning. We always can learn more. All right, did you get it now? Did you get it? Devote yourself to God and ask the question, what does God want? Get the facts and ask the question, what do I need to know? Ask for advice and ask the question, who can help me? Prepare for problems and ask the question, what can go wrong? Calculate the cost and ask the question, is it worth it? And face your fears. And ask the question, ask the question, can I do it with God and move in spite of my fear? Can I do it with God and move in spite of my fear? Ruth did. And her life became glorious as a result of it. I did, 40 years ago, in an outdoor baptistry on the campus of San Pasquale Academy. And gloriously, God has blessed me ever since. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the wisdom that you give us and the power to make choices for ourselves. It's an awesome responsibility. But we know, Lord, if we start from the beginning by devoting ourselves to you, You will guide us just as you guided Ruth and Naomi. And you will help us in our journey when we come to that crossroads. 
when we devote ourselves to you to make the right choice. Help us do that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.